Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Hey again, and welcome to Crosspoint. Uh, we're so glad that you've joined us for worship online. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, we would love to connect with you today. You know, today is the second week of our Song of the Summer series, and today we are singing from Psalm 38. Now, Psalm 38 is the first of our songs of lament, but it's unique. It's a song of King David, and Uh, that it's a petition as well. But first, before we jump in, let's quickly talk about Psalms of Lament. Now, Psalms of Lament are songs of disorientation sung by those who are in distress. And in Lament, the psalmist pleads and complains and enlists their many, many, many troubles. Sometimes laments are filled with curses and violent displays of humanity. And other times they include confessions and cries of innocence. In the lament, the Psalter gives us permission to be vulnerable before God. He gives us the words that we can use to articulate our feelings to God. It gives life and voice and action to the deepest groanings in our soul. But let me tell you, Psalm 38 isn't your average lament. Its primary focus is sin and the believer. It's one of the seven penitential psalms. And while lament allows us for emotional expression, penitential lament allows us to process and grieve the effects of sin in our lives. So it helps us limp back to God with every movement of the music. And so you might be wondering, what is, uh, why is a song of pain and sin so important? Look, I get what you're thinking. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand the value of negativity, and especially negativity in the scriptures. You know, we come from, there's a no use, for, no, no, no use to cry over spilt milk culture. You know, before Mr. Rogers, we were told to stuff the mad that we felt. You know, whiners go over like a fart in church or a you know, sad song at a birthday party. So why should we spend time seemingly complaining about the sin in our lives? You know, if you're like me, you think to yourself, you know, this is the bed I've made. I'm going to sleep in it. Let's just say sorry and let's just move on. But is that really what repentance is? Is the apology so simple? Is grace so cheap? I I really am not convinced that that's true. I don't think the psalmist is trying to rain on our prayer. I think he's trying to bring our dead and dry bones back to water. And so, listen, I, I know singing the song of repentance is harder than any other song. You know, it's a sensitive area. Some of our wounds are still raw. It's like talking about our gross messiness and our dirty laundry. But let me tell you here, in this psalm, David, his lifestyle is all repentance. In those moments of deep conviction when David was overcome by his failures, we can imagine him depressed by his sin, dreading the new day before it's even begun, dragging his sick body from its bed, sore and achy. 
He takes him everything he has just to leave the safety of his house, to see those familiar faces, to look them in the eye, to walk around as strangers whisper about him. And in times like these, David turns to a song he knows too well. He sang it when he slept with another man's wife. He sang this song when he killed that man. He, he sang this tune when he failed to discipline his children. He, was, he sang this song when he was disobedient to the Lord. This song for David was on repeat in his life. He sang it again and then again and again. And as the penitential choir master, if we want to call that, he encourages us to join him in singing it again today. Because like David, I think we have all felt the touch of sin in our lives. So in this way, David's song is our own song, and we must keep singing it. And maybe you're joining us online today, and you're struggling with sin. You're just stuck in it. Or perhaps you're feeling hopeless about your sin, and you just don't know what to do about it. Or still, maybe sin doesn't bother you at all. Well, whatever the case may be, if that's you, this is music for your ears. This song's for you. And this song's for me. You know, the father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, wrote that our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Repentance is our song. So, how should we sing it? Well, let's find out together by reading from Psalm 38, starting with verse 1. David writes, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, and nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filling, filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. And I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. See, the psalmist invites us to sing about our pain. You know, when you're overwhelmed by, singing, you want to, by sin, you want to shout, ouch, that hurts. When you're guilty, it hurts. And really, you can be sick with sin. David writes, your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. See, you know, you know when you've sinned against God, it's not just like a flesh wound. It's, it strikes, right, strikes you right in the heart, the center of your being, and it exposes your sinfulness. It's like God has become your enemy. And when you're not at peace with God, it seems like the walls of the universe are closing in on you. Have you ever been in that kind of pain? You know, when I was in grade school, uh, we used to play this terrible game on the playgrounds. A mob of 15 or 20 of us would single out some poor sucker and chase him down. And now if you, if you got caught, you were tackled to the ground, and every single one of us would pile on top of you. It was the infamous doggy pile. Now, I remember the terror of being at the bottom of that pile. I couldn't breathe. I was being crushed. My body hurt, and I was scared for my life. Every part of me was in distress. 
And see, when sin piles on us like that, our body and our mind and our soul can suffer greatly. Everything is up for grabs in, in us, and it can touch our whole being. But let, let me address the elephant that might be sitting in your living room right now. You might be asking, are you saying, Micah, that if we are sick or suffering, it is because of our sin? Well, let me tell you today, the best answer to that question is maybe. Honestly, it, it may be. Consider this. The scriptures tell us that King David suffered specifically because of his sin. He lost his sons. They died tragically. His family was riddled with tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And they, he felt far from God at times and, and literally physically ill. He made poor choices. And in his case, his sin caused him physical and emotional and mental anguish. But in your case, I, I can't know, but God knows. And you know. And we have to leave it at that. However, you know, David also suffered because of the sin of others. You know, you can think about in this story, he was hunted by a jealous and prideful King Saul. He was betrayed by his son Absalom. You know, sin doesn't just come from inside of us. It comes from around us. It surrounds us at times. And so, in a cosmic sense, all suffering is caused by sin that entered creation. Because of the sins of Adam, we were born with a sinful disposition. And so, in a personal sense, some suffering is the personal consequences of sin. But general suffering, however, is a result of sin's presence in all creation. We all suffer the consequences of sin. But David knows this song so well. He's experienced a life where he's made a lot of mistakes and he looks at his suffering differently now as he writes this song. He knows that this suffering is because of his disobedience. So filled with faith, he chooses not to despair, but to lament. And so David requests that God work in his suffering instead. He cries, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Well, what, what would God do instead? Instead, David is saying, discipline me in your love. Use it for my restoration, not my destruction. Because, you see, God can always use the consequences of our sin to draw us back to him. He can do that today. How? Well, you know, suffering produces endurance in us. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And in this way, processing our sin through lament is critical. The Lord can use pain to humble us and produce righteousness in us. It can crack the hard veneer and expose our wickedness. And so the song of pain changes the sinner. It changes our posture. God will lay us out. David says, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. You know, at Crosspoint, we like to say that it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay there. And I think the psalmist doesn't want us to get stuck in our pain either. He wants us to walk through it using this song. That's not it, though. There's more to this song. He wants us to walk through to something. So let's read the next movement together, starting in verse 9. David writes, O oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. 
My friends and my companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares, and those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But me, I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. You know, the psalmist is inviting us to something else, something more. He's inviting us to sing about our sorrow. You know, why, why, why would he do that? Sorrow can be a great teacher. It can make us wise. It teaches us, first of all, that sin is lonely. You know, David says, My friends and my companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off, and those who seek my life lay their snares. See, our wicked condition in our sin disrupts our relationships. It drives those closest to us away, and everyone avoids us in our sin like we have the plague. Our wounds stink and fester. It's gross. And those who are actually interested in us, they meditate on our ruin all day long. See, our enemies can see our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. We're not just vulnerable uh, before God, but before our enemies and those who hate us. But you know, none of this affects us like our broken relationship with God. David cries, really all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. The biggest problem here is what's happened to us. In other words, I'm lost without you, God. Because sin comes between us and God. It breaks down our relationship with him. Let me tell you, as believers in Christ, we will always have union with Christ. But when we are stuck in our sin, we cannot have intimate communion with him. We need community, you know, with God and, and, and with people. Isolation only intensifies our suffering. You know, I don't know if you guys have noticed recently the effects of isolation on our person, but we are all separated by like a half inch of plastic all the time. We, want, we can't always hug or touch or kiss those we love. We can't always see each other in person. We must socially distance. But when we are in our sin, we choose to socially distance ourselves from God. Something we choose. Our hearts are in quarantine. Our, our symptoms are critical. God wants in, but we've denied him access. We've put restrictions in the way. And while pain, our real pain, the consequences of sin may overcome our bodies, isolation from God is truly unbearable. You see, our sorrow teaches us that without God, we are helpless in our sin. The song of repentance leads a sinner to realize their inability to help themselves in this situation without God. We are guilty of our sins, full stop. We have no excuses or defenses. It doesn't matter what our good intentions were. We realize we are utterly depraved. 
When we realize this, we become deaf and speechless. We, we realize that all our attention needs to turn to God. David cries in his sin, I am deaf and mute. And all his attention is on God because that's all that matters when he is helpless in his sin. He says, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer me. See, God is the only one who can address the question of our guilt. You know, people can pass judgment on us and write us off. People do it online every day. But he is faithful when others are not. He loves us while we are still in our sin. And those of us who put our faith in him, we get pardon from our guilt. When we wait on him, we believe that he will answer. He will not... Let us be overcome by sin and be destroyed by our enemies. And so every moment of the song of repentance turns our attention to the Lord. Every bar of music, verse, and bridge leads us to this course, the heart of repentance, which is these two life-changing words. I'm sorry. See, our sorrow teaches us that finally... There is sorrow for sin itself. Sin starts to trouble us personally. You see that confession is important and sorrow for sin is valuable. It is the chorus of our faith. Because, for example, you know, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, false repentance is motivated by fear of the consequences of sin. But truly repentant believers are sorry for their sin itself. They're sorry it hurt their relationship with God. They have moved past conviction to contrition. See, God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to change. He wants us to move from fear to intimacy with him. Beyond apology, you know, growth is a vital part of a relationship with God. You know, relationships are like that. For example, my wife and I have agreed that apologies don't include buts. You know, apology that begins with, I'm sorry, but, is not really an apology. When you're genuinely sorry, you take full responsibility. Responsibility for the condition of your heart and for your actions. You say, I was wrong. I'm sorry I hurt you. Will you forgive me? And then you shut your big mouth. And, and, and they might forgive you. But the real question is, will we change? If the relationship is to grow and deepen and become more intimate, change is required. And it's the same in the relationship we have with God. God doesn't just want us to return to him and say sorry. When we talk about turning away from our sin into Christ, we are talking about more than sin acknowledgement. He wants us to enter into a close and committed relationship with him. He wants us to remove all the stuff that has become between us. He wants access. He wants us to really talk to him and share with him without filter or censor. He wants to hurt with us and for us to hurt about what hurts him. You know, otherwise, repentance is only a long, lifeless, and meaningless Excel sheet account of our sin. 
You know, confession is not about making God aware of our sin. It's, he already knows. It's not hidden from him. Instead, we are opening ourselves to God so he can cleanse us from our sin. And to do that, he needs access. But wait, the song gets better. If there is access, there is cleansing. And if there is cleansing, there is emptying. And where there is an empty vacuum, the Lord can fill it. There's more to this song. So let's read the final few verses together, starting with verse 19. David writes, But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, Lord, my salvation. See, finally, the psalmist here, David, is inviting us to sing about our need. And there, they are many. To, you know, to add insult to injury, not only has David had to deal with his sin again, his enemies remain. And he doesn't deserve it this time. But something has changed. The song of repentance moves him from petition to confidence in whatever his current troubles may be. And he is filled with faith in that time of need. See, in every situation of our life, we need the Lord. Past, present, and future, we need him. When we are in our sufferings and our pain, we need him. And when we are not right with God, we need him. And when people let us down, we need him. When we are wrongfully attacked and harmed, we need him. Because when we confess our sins and turn to Jesus and truly put our faith in the Lord, we can call on him in confidence. And he is faithful. So the good news for believers today is that because of Christ, we can be sure that we are not forgotten and that he is faithful. We know that God will love and discipline his children. He forgives our sins and cleanses us from unrighteousness. He will unite us with himself and we can be close to him. We can be sure that he has delivered us from the eternal punishment and that he has defeated the grave. And most of all, in him we can be filled with abundant life. I want to tell you, friends, today that this song, the song of repentance, can change your life. Repentance is not a single act that believers in Christ do. It's a lifelong process of becoming more like Christ, growing deeper and rapidly in the character of Jesus. And in the life of the growing believer, Psalm 38 needs to be on repeat. We need to sing it again and again and again and again. Because the truth is this, simply this. Because this, the song of repentance cultivates godly hearts within us. That's what it's doing. We need to keep singing that song and developing that heart. And inviting God to come in and work within us. You see, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ. And align our hearts with God's. It's not just something we merely do, but it transforms us into truly penitent followers of Jesus. And so maybe the Psalter is suggesting something that is unusual for some of us. He is suggesting that we stop censoring our faith, that we lament over our pain. We talk about it when we are together. We grieve about our sin. We can't just be aware of our sin. We need to be troubled by it. Let yourself be troubled by your sin. We can't just confess our sin. We need to long for Christ's victory over it. 
You know, personally, I don't, I don't have this Christian life all figured out. But what I do know is that this is my song. I have faced the dark wickedness in myself many times. I've been singing this song all my life. For as long as I can remember. And I know that it has moved me and shaped me and helped me grow. I know that when we face our pain, we can deal with our sorrow. I know that God can use our sorrow to drive us to real, true repentance that just changes everything. It can renew our lives and give us faith and confidence in our Savior during those times of need. Could you imagine what Crosspoint would be like if this were our song? Think about what our worship would be like. Think about how transformative our fellowship would be. If we were singing the song of repentance over and over and over again. Think about how free we would be in the light of a confessional community. Think about how full of life we would be because we would be because of the Savior, Jesus. And so Crosspoint, uh, on Communion Sunday, uh, maybe this is your prayer too. And for yourself and for, for our community, I want to give you a practical opportunity to bring this to God today. And as usual, we're going to invite you to join us for a few minutes of corporate reflective prayer. And we're going to turn our attentions to the Savior. And he is here and he, and he is for you. He is faithful and he's all sufficient. So take a couple minutes to join us in praying. And you, you can join us along at, at home by yourself or with those here with you. Um, but know that Jesus is with you. He is here. He is present. You are not alone. And while we pray together, we're going to see some examples come up on the screen of how we can pray. And then afterwards, I am going to commission us to go. So let's pray together. Let me pray before us first. Lord God, we uh, come to you again in song. We, we just love you. We are so thankful that you do not abandon us in our sin. We are so sorry that we hurt you. We want to feel that. We want to feel what your heart feels when we are hurt by sin. So Lord, we ask that you would uh, forgive us, empty us, and fill us again today. We want to be changed. We love you for it. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.